Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, If you've been following along, we have been walking through this devotional, 21 Days of Spiritual Renewal. Uh, Today was the last day. I didn't post what that was, but... uh, the whole last week has been uh, settling on learning to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Basically, Paul's saying that, hey, we need to learn to walk and let the Spirit guide us. And then he gives all these verses about what's not spiritual, uh, all these verses that are of our flesh. But then he gives verses of these are the fruit of the Spirit. And a lot of us are familiar with this. Uh, when he says about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, there's only one fruit. Think of an apple orchard uh, that has many kinds of apples, Granny Smith apples. And I have no idea what the other kind of apples are, but I know there's more than one. But all these different kind of apples, right? So he says there's one fruit, fruit, that word is singular, of the Spirit. And then he lists all these characteristics, nine characteristics, love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such things, there is no law. And basically he's saying, when we live by the Spirit, the law, which is brought up to condemn sin, right? He says, the law can't really condemn anything against this because these are all spiritual characteristics or attributes that are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So really the law can't say, hey, you're doing this wrong or you're doing that wrong. It's really just saying, hey, I'm walking in accordance with God's Holy Spirit. And when you're walking in accordance with God's Holy Spirit, then you're more responsive to the things that God says to do. You're more able to follow God's Holy Spirit when he speaks to you and says, hey, I need you to do this or to go do that. It's a lot easier to follow it because you're already used to obeying the prompting of God's Holy Spirit. And I hope that makes sense, right? Now, you get to the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament, uh, they didn't have the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on everyone. God poured it out on certain people. So as we're walking through the book of Zechariah, Zechariah was one of the prophets that God poured out his spirit on, and he said, I need you to go talk to my people and tell them this. And this whole book of Zechariah, it isn't a book where someone's going to read it and say, look, this is what God is saying to me as an individual. Because it's more of a book where God is saying to the collective people, here's what you need to do, right? And we said the theme of Zechariah is twofold. First, it's a call to, the, again, the collective people of God to return to God. I think it's verse 2 or 3. One of the first things Zechariah says is, hey, God said, return to me and I'll return to you. And one of the reasons he said this is because the people at that time were called to go back into Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, reestablish the worship of God. And they weren't doing it. They were, they were focused on like political stuff. They were focused on building their businesses, building their own houses. And in addition to Zechariah, God sent the prophet Haggai and said, hey, tell my people to get back to doing what I called them to do. So if, if God sends two prophets to tell them the same thing is probably pretty important, right? For us, we don't have a temple to build. That's not what God has called us to do. But God has called us to build his kingdom. And today, the church, the body of Christ, we've gotten kind of off path with political stuff, with COVID stuff, with all this other stuff. 
But this still rings true to return to the thing that God has called us to do. And then the second theme uh, in the next couple of chapters that we'll get to probably next week or in the next couple of weeks is look to the Messiah. Because the work that they were doing in reestablishing Jerusalem as the center of worship of the one true God was paving the way for the Messiah to come. Now for us, we know the Messiah has already come, but the work that God has called us to do is paving the way for the Messiah to return. Because what we're supposed to be doing is building God's kingdom, is proclaiming God's truth, is sharing and showing the love of Christ to people so that they might come to know God, right? So the next thing after laying this out of return to me, uh, the next thing that God does is he gives four visions, eight total, four that we covered last week to Zechariah, again, to share the with the people. The first was a myrtle tree vision, and it was just establishing that God's going to establish peace and prosperity despite the cultural chaos, right? So many people were focused on, and this is true today, everything going on in the culture that we have forgot to focus on what God has called us to, and God was letting them know, hey, you don't worry about that. I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do. The next vision he gave was a four horns vision, right? where God's sovereignty will be established despite government chaos. And we don't seem to be worried about that right now, but the closer we get to the election cycle, you'll see it spur back up, and you'll see the people of God divide and argue and get away from doing the work that God has called them to do. Right? But God's message to us is just like it was to them. His sovereignty will be established despite the government chaos. And then he gives a measuring line vision. right? And he tells them, hey, Jerusalem will be established, right? It will be rebuilt. We stand on this side of history. We know that that happened. For us, it's that we understand that God's kingdom will be established for all mankind. Again, this only happens when we do our part. Uh, And then the last vision he gave them was for the high priest at that time. But for us, he tells us that we are God's high priest. We are a a holy nation, a royal priesthood, but we need to preach and proclaim God's truth, and then we'll see his will get done, right? So that's four visions. It's a little spiritual. The next four visions are even more spiritual. So let me ask everyone to do this, to just close your eyes for one second. Close your eyes, one second. Don't get so comfortable you fall asleep, but just close them for one second. Take a deep breath. Let it out, okay? One more deep breath. Let it out, okay? Now open your eyes, all right? Uh, We're about to discuss more spiritual stuff, so hopefully we can just take a minute, let God's Holy Spirit speak to us, because all of this is, it's going to seem weird, but we serve a spiritual God, so of course we're going to experience spiritual things, and he speaks to his people in spiritual ways. I'm going to jump through a lot of verses. So again, I'm going to put the verses up here on the screen. But if you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, we are going to jump back into Zechariah chapter 4. And in Zechariah chapter 4, this is what we read. Then the angel, and we said last week that there was an angel who was revealing these visions to Zechariah. And then Zechariah wrote these down and revealed them to the people. Uh, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1 says, Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from a sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Now again, these, these things that he see, they have spiritual significance. And uh, I know uh, some of you have been following along in Mark 
uh, Berkshire, pray for Mark because he just had surgery and we want to pray for him to recover. But he's been walking through in the, the book of Revelation in our Bible study. And one of the things that you find out is from a spiritual perspective in heaven that the lampstands is the church. It's not the physical church, but it stands for, represents the church. So what Zachariah sees here, now this is beyond his comprehension. We stand on this side of history. We have more revelation from God, so we understand that. But all he sees is this solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top, seven lamps on it, seven channels to the lamps. He says, also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, uh, who is the, was the governor at that time, because they had two roles. They had a governor who was kind of over the people from a governing perspective, civil law, that type of thing. But then they also had a religious leader, the high priest in charge of the temple. So he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, I, and I pronounce that a different way each time, I'm sorry, Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now this, again, Zerubbabel, governor, Zechariah, the prophet, and what he's revealing to them, hey, you're the governor, you're supposed to be responsible for rebuilding the temple, but what I see is this lampstand, right, which says it's not you who's going to do it, but it's the spirit-filled people of God who are going to make this happen. And the same is true today, Right? The lampstand is a picture of the church, and we in the church, we have, we have our marching orders. We're supposed to go out and share and show the love of Christ to people, but it's not going to happen. And I see churches already, because it's January, that started doing this. What are the things that we're going to do to get people into the building? What kind of things can we plan? What kind of things can we buy to give away? And truth be told, I fell into this trap myself. Because when I was meeting with, the, okay, she's in the back. She can still hear me, but she can't give me a dirty look. When I was meeting with Rachel and Lene, I said, I have an idea that we can do for the moms. Helicopter idea, going to cost thousands of dollars. And they listened to me, and Lene said, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're just, we're just, we're, we're not even, how about we do something that just brings people together where they get to know one another? Because pastors, what we tend to think is we've got to come up with this creative way to bring people into the building, if it costs money, if it costs whatever, that's just where our heads are at. But then there are people out there, like Lily and Rachel, who say, no, why don't we just do the thing that God has called us to do and just get to know people and interact with people and do things that way. So this, this is where he says, uh, not by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, right? And then he says this, then I asked the angel, what are those two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are those two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Now, a lot of theologians have ideas about what this is. Some say that it's Zerubbabel, you know, because he's, he's, he's the governor, and then... Uh, Joshua, who was the high priest at that time. Some say that it refers to, if you read in Revelations, where God says there are these two people that he sends out in his name. Realistically, what most theologians believe, and this is what I lean towards because this is what scripture supports, it's a picture of God saying, hey, these two roles, 
you know, the, the, the prince, who is the, the governor or the leader of the people, and then the priest, who intercedes between the two people, these two roles are going to come together, right? Because when you get to verse uh, chapter 6, this is what we read. Take the silver and gold, make it a crown, set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josedek. Joshua, in Hebrew, means Jehovah is salvation. And this person, Joshua, ends up being a picture or a type of what God is going to do with Jesus because Jesus is just the Greek form of Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation, right? So he says, tell him, Joshua, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and the reason it's capital B is because it's referring to Jesus Christ, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord, Right? But then it says, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord. He will be clothed with majesty, will sit on and rule on his throne. He'll be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two, meaning the two roles. So this person, Joshua, is going to serve as a consolidation of the two roles, kind of like what Christ does. Now, if you look in the book of Hebrews, again, a lot of scripture, sorry, but I, I want people to know I'm not making this up. Um, a lot of scripture, when you look in the book of Hebrews, we see this fulfilled because it says in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, meaning Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So Jesus is now the heir of all things. He is the prince, right, whom, whom God has given all authority to. So he's the next sovereign ruler, but it also says he is also the priest because it says, therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, right? Because we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So uh, here you have these, these, these two things colliding together, the role of the prince over the people, who was like the governor, the ruler, and the role of the priest, right? Super spiritual stuff. But here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize all this in a minute. The next vision that he sees is this. I looked again, there before me was a flying scroll. And he asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long, 10 cubits wide. That's like 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. That's how big this scroll was that was just flying through the air, right? And he says, he said to me, uh, this is the curse that is going out over the whole land, for according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. According to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. Now, ideally, right, some people think, well, this flying scroll had the Ten Commandments on it. But according to what he says on one side and on the other side, it's likely not the Ten Commandments, although in the Ten Commandments was, you know, thou shalt not lie and thou shalt not steal. Yeah, but it is more likely that what was on the scroll and why it was so big were the curses based on the Mosaic Covenant. And it was this transgression of these curses that God was saying, here's what you're being held accountable to. Now, really quick, I'm going to jump back into Deuteronomy to show what those curses were, because in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses gathers the people. This is before they cross into the promised land. And he says, before you guys cross over, I want you to know what you're getting into, right? Kind of like what we do before we, you know, hey, if we make these agreements with our children or before we sign on on the job, we want to know what am I getting into? Like, what's going to be expected of me? 
So Moses says, if you fully obey the Lord your God, and he's talking to the whole new generation of, of Israelite people because the older generation died out because of their sin. So now before he takes the new generation in, he says, I want you to know what you're getting into, kind of like how we have a whole new generation of people that are kind of walking away from the church because they don't understand what the Bible says. And so rather than criticize them, we need to share with them, here's the truth of what God's word says. So Moses takes him, he says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And then he says, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. Right? And then for the next, I think it's 12 verses, there's blessing after blessing after blessing. Blessings in your home, blessings in your finances, blessing in your health and welfare, blessing in your, 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 when you're farming, in your food, in your business, all of these blessings if you obey God. And again, this is the collective people of God. If you guys all do what God has called you to do, he's going to bless you and bless you. Your nation will be blessed. Your home will be blessed. Your families will be blessed. Your communities will be blessed. Your relationships will be blessed. There's like 12 verses of blessings. But there's also a consequence if they didn't obey God, right? So in verse 15, he says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. He says overtake you, meaning you won't be able to escape these consequences, no matter how hard you try. And he listed, what was it, 12 verses of blessings, but there's 53 verses of curses for disobedience to God's will. He says your home will be cursed, your businesses will be cursed, your families will be broken apart, your nation will be destroyed, your communities, financially, your health, everything, all of these curses, you won't be able to escape. They will overtake you, including your nation will be destroyed and dispersed, which is kind of why Zachariah is having this conversation with them because that was a consequence of them failing to do it. And the same is true for us, because even though we're here today as Christians, there are consequences for us not doing what God has called us to do. Uh, and first, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians, this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, he, meaning Jesus Christ, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And many people think this is just talking about one group, but it's talking about two. Because he says, those people who don't know God, they already don't obey the gospel of Jesus because they don't know it. So the one group is the people who don't know God, those who chose to reject him. The next group is the people who supposedly we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we don't obey the gospel of Jesus. We say we're Christians, but we, we, we're hateful to other people, we don't love our neighbor, we're divisive, uh, argumentative, and he says they will be punished with everlasting destruction, and here's the most important part, shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might, eternal separation from God. That should worry us more than anything else, Right? So these are all the things that, that they believe are written on the scroll are all these 53 curses 
And God says, hey, let the people know this is what they're paying the penalty for. And it's a reminder, just like we tell our kids, you know, hey, you don't want to do that again. You remember what happened the last time. This is what God is telling them, right? And then the next curse is this, back to Zechariah. He says, then the angel who speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see what is appearing. And I asked, what is it? He replied, it is a basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. That word iniquity means the sins and the transgression. So the curse shows what they've done wrong. And he says, in this basket are still all the wrongdoings. It's representative of all the thing wrong and, and, and the sins and the transgressions of the people. But then he says this, then the cover of, the lead, the cover of lead was raised. And there in the basket sat a woman, and he said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed its lead cover down. Now, there's a lot of people that look at this and say, this is why the Bible is misogynistic, and it's, it's angry against women. And that's not the case, because although the iniquity of the people and wickedness is personified as a woman, wisdom throughout the Bible, wisdom from God, the ability to apply knowledge, right, is also personified as a woman. So it's not a misogynistic thing. It's the fact that wickedness and iniquity, sin, always appears attractive. That's why it's personified as a woman. Wickedness doesn't appear, sin doesn't appear as this ugly thing that we want nothing to do with. It always appears as this attractive thing that we want to chase after that makes you feel good. So he pictures it and describes it as a woman because that's what we see sin as, something that appeals to us, something that we look forward to doing, and something that most people chase after. All right? Uh, and then this last one, and then I'll summarize these really quick. This last one, he says, I looked up again. There before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze, First chariot had red horses, second black, third white, and the fourth dappled or spotted, all of them powerful. And this is a reiteration of the, of the governments that had conquered uh, Jerusalem and God showing his authority over the governments. And he says, I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? He said, the angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going toward the north country. The one with the white horses toward the west. The one with the dappled horses toward the south. And then he says this. Then he called to me, look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. And most people think that's because Babylon had already been conquered. So that, that was a done deal. And the other chariots were going out toward the other nations that had come against Jerusalem. Now, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves is, so what? Right? All of these super spiritual things, how do they apply to us? What can we learn from them? How can we learn to kind of be more of what God has called us to be for reading these? Now, really quick, that lampstand vision is saying that God's will is going to be accomplished through God's Holy Spirit. It's not from uh, 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 more programs in the church. It's not from, you know, planning all of these things that we as pastors tend to want to do. It's from obeying the prompting of God's Holy Spirit. And here's the reality. Twelve men, twelve men, went out, twelve Holy Spirit-filled men, and literally, if you count from the time of the apostles until today, billions upon billions of people came to know God without church programs, without bigger bands, 
without spending a fortune, with them just going out and sharing, here is what God has done in my life, and he can do it for you as well. And if you read through the book of Acts over and over and over without a church program, without a church building, without any of that stuff, the whole world turned on end because spirit-filled men just went out and said, hey, I want to share what God has done for me and what he can do for you. And that's what God calls us to do. When we started this, we said, hey, one of the roles of the church is to equip the saints to go out and do the work that God has called them to do. So as pastors, and we, it, it's a different mindset because this has been the mindset for decades. We got to get people into the building, right? That, that's the way pastors think. We got to get people in the pews. We don't have pews, but you know what I mean. Got to get people in the chairs. That's what we're supposed to do. And then we get discouraged when there's not a lot of people in the chairs. That's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is whoever is in the chairs, in the building, encourage them and equip them to go out in their circles of influence and share the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. And let God's Holy Spirit do the thing that we can't do in our own flesh. Uh, in this flying scroll vision, it's a reminder that there is a consequence for sin. There's a consequence if we don't do the work that God has called us to do. There's a very real physical consequence because people's lives will not be changed. People will not be set free from addictions. People will not experience the love and peace and hope of Christ unless we go out and do it. There's also a spiritual consequence because those people we don't share the gospel with, they may spend eternity separated from God just because we didn't give them the message of hope that God has called us to. And then in the other vision, uh, the basket vision, there is a very real enemy spreading wickedness and iniquity. Sin is a very real thing. And a lot of pastors won't preach about it, but it's the truth. Sin exists. It looks great. It looks pretty. It looks fun. It looks pleasurable, but it has a downside. It separates people from God. And then the last one is, again, God is sovereign over every government, nation, and power. Our goal is not to, 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 to form all these political movements. Our goal is to serve the Prince of Peace and to share the gospel and trust that it doesn't matter who is in office, okay, and I'm, I'm going to be real for a minute. Things have sucked no matter who is in office, whether it was a Republican or Democrat. There have been things in our nation that have not gone right. Our focus is not to, uh, and yeah, you should vote if you support, uh, support a political party, that's great, but our goal as the church is not to make a political statement, but to promote the Prince of Peace. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to pray for, uh, and yeah, we'll get out of here hopefully before snow has started. Uh, we're going to pray for the body of Christ. We're going to pray for the church. God, we lift up the church to you today. We pray that as your word says, that we would understand that your will will be accomplished when we follow the prompting of your Holy Spirit, not when we do what we think we should do, but when we do what you have called us to do. We pray that, that we understand that there's a very real consequence for us failing to obey your Holy Spirit. We pray that we're able to, to, to share the gospel and to talk about the fact that sin is real, but there is a God who loved us enough that he sent his son to die upon a cross and who was put to death, buried, and then raised on the third day to pay the penalty for all of our sins, that we don't have to walk under the weight or the burden of sin but we can experience the freedom that comes from knowing you.
God. And we pray that we understand that, uh, that we are a, a holy priesthood, a royal nation that you have called to be your people, that we are ambassadors for Christ, and that our role and our, our, our job is not to promote a government system, but to promote the Prince of Peace so that people might experience life change in their lives through you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.